Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast, the Lower Gentry Studios production. I'm your host, Chuck. This week's episode is brought to you by Incremental Change. You know that goal you have in mind? That goal for yourself, or maybe even that goal for your community, state, or country? Well, that goal likely won't be reached overnight. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Of course it does. For this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with two intelligent and knowledgeable economists from Boise State University's economics department. Guido Giuntini and Steve Hall did some insightful research which, if applied here in Ada County, could help us take a big step towards meaningful change. These two did some extensive research on property taxes in Ada County, and they have solutions to create a system that is more just and fair for Ada County residents. We started our conversation with Guido's explanation of regressive taxation. Enjoy. So I can start by defining what property uh, regressive taxes, what it means. Okay. So, you know, for people that really don't understand the concept, uh, regressive is measured on income. So as um, when you pay taxes, it can be calculated as a percentage of your income. So if you think about sales taxes, for example, on food, poor people spend a higher percentage of their income on food than richer people. So when they pay sales taxes on food, it tends to be regressive because a, because a bigger percentage of their income goes to pay that tax. Because everybody's got to eat. And yeah. that's six and or seven. Because everybody eat and kind of you eat the same amount. So if your income doubles, you're not going to buy double amount of food usually. And so the, the amount of tax you pay kind of stays the same. More or less, you can buy a bit higher quality food, but more or less stays the same. And so as your income goes up, you pay less percentage of your income in sales tax or food tax. Okay. And property taxes follow the same formula. Not necessarily. Okay. <laughs> similar. <laughs> yes, similar. Do you want to explain, Steve? Uh, yeah. So property taxes are uh, a regressive tax because they're really not based on income. So if we think of a progressive tax, uh, that's something like the marginal tax rates that you have with your income taxes. Everybody's familiar you know, with that. You get into a different tax bracket and the tax rate that you pay based on your income goes up. Now, you don't pay that rate. You know, if you're in the 37% income tax bracket, that means you make you know, $510,000 a year, but you don't pay 37% on $510,000. It starts at a level of like from zero to 10,000, you pay 8% or something like that. So the more income you make, your tax rate goes up, but you're also paying a lower percentage of your uh, income in taxes, percentage-wise. So if you're lower income, then you are... Uh, benefiting from that as you pay less taxes as a percentage of your income, where property taxes uh, aren't income-based at all. They're only based on the property value. So regardless of what happens to your income, uh, you could have a super high income uh, in, a, in a low property value, and you will still pay uh, not a uh, differing share of your income in taxes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, uh, but so what we found for our study was based on Ada County, and what we found that given the increase in property values and the kind of stagnant nature of uh, incomes in Ada County mm -hmm. and the fact that properties that there were lower value 10, eight, 10 years ago increase in, in value more than or previously already high value homes and Homes that are that were lower in value usually have people that live in there. They have lower incomes. Then that increases the regressivity, the regressive nature of uh, the property tax. So the if it makes sense. So the burden and property taxes mostly fund 
local yeah. projects. Yes, or yes. So the study we did looks at Ada County. Ada County is a budget. I don't remember, like $280 million, something like that. Mm-hmm. And half of that money comes from property taxes. Okay. And a majority of those property taxes are paid by those on the lower income spectrum. Well, they're paid based on value. So the way Ada County and most places do it is they have a certain amount of money they want to get from property taxes. They send people out that do they they put a value on their homes for property taxes purposes. They do an assessment and then they have the total amount of assessed value. They deduct different kind of deductions, the homeowner exemption, et cetera. And then they figure out what percentage is that they have to tax this value to get the amount of money that they want. Okay. Okay. And so you came up with some solutions. Actually, you got this data in 2018, correct? Yeah, we looked at the change between 2012 and 2018. Because we spoke last year, you all were going to come on last year, and then coronavirus hit. So right. obviously, that <laughs> we didn't have. There were a lot of other preoccupations, and property taxes were not on the forefront of people's minds. Although, when you get the bill, I think you still that's <laughs> even true. If you have COVID, you say, "Oh, the freaking taxes." Yeah, <laughs> which just which just hit people here recently. So, um, and that's and that's something that I think a majority of people here in the Treasure Valley can get behind is to be able to look at these things because it is something that affects us more directly than whatever distractions a lot of the Idaho legislatures are putting on the television or in front of, of people right now. Um, so you you came up with a, an application that allows you to kind of adjust the, the tax burden to where it's not necessarily falling on the, the lower and middle class, the burden of it. So it is a lot more equitable, correct? Right. So if you look at the data... And you take, so we also overlaid uh, census data. So we took every census tract and the median income inside that census tract based and what the percentage of property tax was related to that income. So if you think of that graphically as a seesaw, right? Okay. And let's say that uh, lower income areas are on one side, higher income areas are on the other. The lower income areas were almost... uh, the higher income areas were almost on the ground as far as the percentage of their income that they paid in property taxes, where the uh, the lower income uh, census tracts were up in the air, right? So if you think about it numbers-wise, you know, let's say the, uh, I think it was roughly 20% of a low, the lowest income levels income went to the property taxes, where on the other side of the spectrum, it was 4 to 5%. So what we did is looked at uh, breaking that out into tranches of incomes and property levels. Uh, We used five quintiles uh, so that you would have a lot of different adjustments. And what that really did is just level that seesaw. Uh, So uh, the people on the the lower income end of the spectrum pay less, people on the higher income spectrum pay more, and everybody pays what we think is a fair share. Yeah, and this was uh, data from 2018 that you were initially looking at this application though, and I'll put a link into the description of this podcast so that the listeners can kind of play around with it on their own. Um, But uh, right now, basically your taxes are based on the value of the property. And what do you think this current housing explosion, price explosion, um, do you think that's making things even, is that tipping the seesaw even farther down towards the, the wealthy or what do you think is happening? 
Well, I would say that it's a, at the very least, it's it's lifting the entire thing off the ground. Okay. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's it's worse for everybody mm-hmm. uh, because you are going to pay more on property taxes if property values go up uh, an incredible amount like they have. I mean, I think it was 46% uh, in 2020. Uh, don't quote me on that number, but that's okay. it's what's in my head. All right. Uh, I think that's what I heard. Uh, so if property values go up 46% uh, and assessed values don't follow any sort of uh, anything other than what the property value is claimed to be, then yeah, it makes it worse for everybody, but considerably worse for people that are on the lower income end uh, because you have less uh, flexible income, less disposable income to deal with something like that. Uh, So that could put somebody in real terms from being, you know, I'm making it, I'm getting by okay to, holy crap, I'm in the poverty level now, you know, because I've had to pay so much taxes or I can't afford to pay the taxes and I'm going to lose my home because I didn't pay the taxes. Uh oh, and that would put one more property on on the market here in <laughs> then, in Ada <laughs> County, which I think that there's a unfortunately there's a dearth of those of those things for sale. And if I can add something on the same token, population growth grows the need for more services, and so on one hand the values go up, but the need for more money from counties and school district increase, and so all this combined together makes the situation the way it is. Okay. And I wanted to talk a little bit about population density because uh, to me, when I think about the fact that you do pay lower tax rate or a lower percentage of your income um, when you're wealthier towards property taxes, it seems like it's a disincentive to make denser uh, urban areas. Right. Right. And so the way building codes work is a complicated history of how the city de- or the county develops and changes. So there are different coding rules. Mm-hmm. But one solution and what our proposal might entice or incentivize is the building of smaller, more dense units, which would be more affordable. So because if you tax property at increasing value, similar to what income tax does, yeah. then lower value, smaller homes will have less less uh, property taxes that mm-hmm. they have to pay. And so there'll be an incentive, an extra demand for those, which hopefully will bring more people to build those kind of housing. And so to get more specific about what solution you all would think would work best, currently right now in Ada County, if I'm not mistaken, the first $100,000 of your value of your house is, is not taxed, right. correct? If you are the homeowner. So if, if you're you the live homeowner. in the house. Okay. If you own a house and you rent to somebody else, then that property, you pay the entire value in tax, the, the, the tax with the entire value. Okay. And I don't even know that there's a $100,000 home in existence. Oh, no. In, I think in, in the Idaho. last one has been sold. I yeah. yeah. I don't think there's a $100,000 lot in yeah. existence. <laughs> Years ago, maybe. Um, so so what, what would you think would be a, a better starting point? That's a complicated question. Okay. So there is the legislation now that is proposed to raise it, I think, to 150000 and index it to inflation. The problem with that is that uh, that will shift the burden to non-owner-occupied homes, which usually are rental properties. And so they'll shift the burden on the tax to renters, which tend to be our, we can see, I first have to applaud Steve for the, his ability to describe a graph in words. Yes. <laughs> you should see his hands were kind of moving, <laughs> trying to see the see, so, But it's really hard to do. I was using my hands. <laughs> and hopefully you will have a link at the end that you can go and look at the graphs. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is um, renters get screwed even more this way. The, the fact is if you raise just the homeowner exemption without doing 
anything for rental properties, the tax burden will shif- shift more to renters, which tend to be lower income. Okay. Okay. So, and I mean, the, the answer is complicated, Yes. Um, which is why instead of coming out and saying that we need to do this specific price point and this specific tax rate, you did come up with a flexible idea that is that can right. change based on what uh, are the needs of the county. Right. Or- yeah. Given the time, given the situation, I think flexibility would be an extra tool in the sort of the toolbox of the county to, to adjust depending on the needs and the situation. So, so when the factors change, so there is a decrease in the demand for homes and property values don't increase as much, they could adjust the, the rates in a way that is sustainable. But yeah, Steve, you can talk since you're the one that cre- actually created the app. <laughs> <laughs> right. So if you, yeah, if you split things up into tranches, so let's just, let's just imagine for a second there are five levels of uh, different home values that are going to trigger property tax changes. Now, as a legislator or as a uh, tax commissioner, I could use uh, different policy levers to change each one of those tranches instead of, uh, you know, thinking, well, I'm just going to levy this tax on everybody and hope it comes out okay. And be like, I know that my lower income people are paying a higher percentage of their income in taxes. So I can level that teeter-totter. And what the what the app in a visual way, you know, even though it's really a very rough diagram, uh, it is a way that, that a tax commissioner could look at that and say, yeah, I could level this playing field. And as I put more money into, you know, there's there are more than just property taxes that we're thinking about here, right? Yeah. If I increase the uh, level of disposable income for the people at the lower end of my income distribution, then that is actually uh, economic growth. That Those people spend that money. The people on the other end, they save that money. They invest that money. There's only so much money you can spend, right? Yeah. So if you level that playing field, put more money in the pocket of people on the lower end of the income distribution, then your small businesses uh, in Ada County uh, get more sales. Uh, restaurants get more sales. There's more employment generated from that. I mean, it's it's really a cascading effect that comes from this, this one simple thing. And even thinking about, you know, should it be 100,000? Should it be 150,000? You know, that's not a decision that you have to make. And then it's locked in for you know, until somebody decides to talk about it again, right? Mm-hmm. How long has it been 100,000? I've lived in Boise since 2001. It's been 100,000 since then. Uh, I bought my first house here in 2002. Mm-hmm. It was $100,000. <laughs> so nobody has talked about changing that no matter what's, what's happened. So you don't have to have those conversations if you have a flexible marginal rate where you can say, yeah, based on, you know, where people's incomes are, you know, maybe 200000 this year is the place where that break should be. Or maybe it's 300000 because now houses are a million dollars on average or whatever. So you can make that adjustment on five different levels. And just using five as an example, it could be, it could be 15, like, like an income tax. So you can make that adjustment on the fly. So it's better for homeowners, it's better for businesses in the local economy, and it's better for legislators because they have more control over the money that comes in on their budgets and uh, who pays a greater share and how much economic growth they can develop. And I, I do like the idea of revisiting this much more frequently because obviously 20 years ago, having the exemption in place for the last 20 years is not a good policy. 
Yeah, uh, I don't think anyway. And somebody will probably write in and say I'm wrong. It was seventy five thousand dollars twenty years ago, but yeah, but, but I'll the take idea that risk is it's pretty much. dang close. <laughs> either yeah. either way, in the last two years, it would be beneficial to to look at the values and how these taxes are collected, especially in our area with this gigantic boom that we're having as far as valuation is concerned. I mean, right. I don't know if that's an actual economic boom, but people have pretend money in their house that they might be able to access if they want to pull it out at a 3% interest rate or sell it and move to some other town where you can afford to live on the sale price that you that you <laughs> pull out of your house. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a really good point, being able to revisit these, these types of uh, taxes because they are so important for local economies. Right. And most people listening probably have the same you know, experience that I do, you know, three, four years ago, uh, I think our taxes were roughly a thousand dollars a year. And this year it was closer to 3,500, you know, and my income didn't go up three and a half times. It didn't go up 350%. I don't know about anybody else, but I make relatively close to the same amount of money that I made. Uh, and, and I mean, economically, we all make about the same amount of money that we made in 1970. So, uh, those things aren't increasing in real terms the way, uh, the way the property taxes are. And it's it's definitely uh, having an effect on people's disposable income. Do you, uh, either of you have any insight on the on the current price boom? Insight that, in what sense? And it, as far as like, you know, the supply and demand and what's happening. It's supply and demand. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. demand outpacing supply. <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. If you're willing to, if you have anything, because it just seems so surreal well, right now. And yeah, one everybody's thing, asking about how long this is going to last. Right. So I don't know hard. if you want to put your Nostradamus's hats on. And, I don't have that hat. But okay. one thing that I can talk a little bit is um, the people that move here. So if you look at the what is called the population tree. So what age groups are present in the state at different, you know, different amounts. The people that move in are usually close to retirement in the 50 to 60, 55 to 65 age group or younger professionals in the late 20s, early 30s. Okay. And so they come probably from states that are higher cost. So they maybe sell the house there and come here to retire because it's a nice place and they're here, good things. And they come with money, they can pay cash. And at the moment, it's the flow seems to be not slowing down. Mm -hmm. So from the side, side of demand, I think it's, it's going to continue for a little bit. I can't say how long, but that's going to continue. Until there are enough. Until, yes. And, and the disparity will continue until the housing supply catch, catches up with the demand. And that would be a bad situation for the legislatures, I'm sure, too, as far as running government, if all the prices end up tanking and then their their tax dollars are going right. to disappear right along with it. And I don't right. think necessarily anybody's going to be moving. But I think we are talking about a, uh, a more balanced growth, mm -hmm. like not a growth that every year the price goes up 40%, which throws everything off. Like that's a, It's a very weird situation. Instead... Growth is good, but I think balance control doesn't create a lot of tension and a lot of problems that are already here because I think most people that suffer are actually Idahoans. They've been here a long time. Mm -hmm. They have jobs that are, you know, teachers or people that have fixed income that are okay, but they don't keep up with the increases as we discussed. So yeah. that's who suffers the most. Yes, and we're all starting to we're all starting to feel that. I mean, as far even with time, I guess, just waiting at the traffic lights. <laughs> right. That's yes. And that's another question. That's another yeah. question of what growth <laughs> brings. Yes, correct. And, but that's another problem with the increased need for um, tax revenues. 
because you got to build a new intersection. You got to build, you know, enlarge the road. The money must come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at some point we're going to have to build, you know, if, if this area is going to be as big as a Portland or a Seattle or a Spokane, you're going to have to build some roads, right? That are actually, you know, more like freeways, like the connector, you know, north, south, the only way to get north, south uh, from CUNA to Eagle is to take Eagle Road. Uh, that's insane, man. You yeah. gonna, you have to get some money uh, to pay for all that stuff. And are you going to uh, crush your lower income uh, people and your renters in order to do that? Or are you going to do it in a fair and equitable way uh, for everybody? That's I really like what you both have brought up and what you've studied. This is really good information, I think, especially for listeners that might be uh, frustrated with how things are going with the legislature and trying to figure out some some things that we can focus in on and all of us can get behind. That's not so divisive. Um, what what do you recommend people do to bring this to attention? Uh, have you have you yourselves reached yes. out to, to anyone and shared this with with politicians in our area? Yeah, I, I share that with my state legislators. I live in Boise and the bench, so they're all Democrats, nice people, but they all like the proposal. But they said politically it would be very hard to implement. So hmm. I think that this, the changes that they propose are different than this one. I think it's a longer discussion to get to the to the level that our proposal tries to, to achieve. Just increasing awareness. Yes. We just, yeah, at I the mean, moment, we're just trying to go out and put the word out that there is a possible new solution that people are not talking about. And maybe, you know, guys, write to your legislators and say, hey, have you heard about this idea? Maybe you want to look at it and see what you think. Yeah, call them up. I mean, uh, let them know that there are other ways uh, to go about this. And and again, I mean, this is a in, in terms of a policy solution, this is a really rough draft. It's almost a proof of concept. Like this is a way that you could do it. With, with access to more data, uh, we could nail this thing down. I mean, you can uh, get very granular in how you determine where these tax rates are and who pays and how it ends up for everybody. You know, instead of using census tract income, you use, you know, some actual tax data instead of having to extrapolate some of the things that we did. Uh, so, you know, uh, call up your legislators, uh, even even written on the back of a napkin. This model is better than what they're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Are you two working on anything else? Uh, we are always working on a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> right on. <laughs> well, thanks for so, coming in and, and chatting about the, the property tax findings that you have and these ideas that you've come up with. I'd love to have you both on in the future uh, with whatever research and other things that you start to uncover. Yeah, thank you very much. That was fun. Awesome. Great time. Thanks for tuning in to Treasure Valley Podcast. In the description of this episode, you'll find a link to Steve's app, as well as a link to the research that Guido and Steve did about property taxes here in Ada County. If you like this episode, be sure to follow us and share it with a friend. 